Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Alex Israel and Johnny Ariel on Parashat Shlach Lecha. For the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem, please visit elma.pardes.org. And now, here is Rabbi Alex Israel and Johnny Ariel. Welcome. This week we're going to discuss Parashat Shalach Lecha and the story of the Maraglim, the spies. My name is Alex Israel, and I'm delighted to be here with a Jewish and Israel education guru, Johnny Ariel. Hello, Alex. Pleasure to be with you. And uh, we are actually sitting here in Long Island <laughs> discussing the land of Israel and the biblical story here, which is very exciting. And um, Johnny, you've been a long-time educator discussing how Jews outside Israel, Jews inside Israel, relate to Zionism and to the land of Israel. And here we've got the story of the disaster story of an Israel mission, where the Jewish Federation, the Jewish people, <laughs> decide they want to send a mission of 12 delegates to the land of Israel, and they assume that this will endear the land to the nation of Israel. And it ends up in tears. They come back with the reports and everybody gets panicked and they spend, they, 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 they burst into tears and uh, start crying and say, we don't want to go. Let's go back down to Egypt. Um, so I wanted to discuss with you what we, what we make of this story. Right? We, ever since then, Jews have still been going to the land of Israel to explore and to come back with a report. And people hope they'll come back with, I assume most people hope they'll come back with a good report. How do we end up with a bad report? What happens if we do? Yeah. Are we objective about Israel? So you asked a bunch of questions and I'm delighted to engage in this conversation. I think the first comment I'd make is, you use the term spies to describe the people who went to scout the land. And I think that might be a bit of a stretch. A spy is usually understood as someone who goes undercover and embeds themselves with the native population in order to accumulate military secrets or strategically significant information so that their leadership back home can take a decision. But they're usually unknown to the home population. They're unknown people. What we have here is a situation where, no, very public process. Each tribe, there is a leader from each tribe and they're, they're a leader. They're not just an unknown uh, person who happens to be, right? They're leaders who go in, in a very public process to scout out the land. And what we see, what I understand from the story is they're actually not disagreeing on the facts. The land is good. The produce is big and juicy. <laughs> right. Right. And from that, we got this famous image of the holding up the grapevine, which goes as a, the Israel tourism symbol. Such an ironic know. symbol that yeah. is. Israeli Tourism Board, I don't know if all our listeners know, but the Israeli Tourism Board has this picture of these two figures with these grapes, and it's taken from the spies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So they can't. So there was no disagreement. Is the land good? No, it's about Chalavudvash at a certain level afterwards. But it was certainly a productive land. And the request was also that they find out is the 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 city's fortified. You know, is it is it is it going to be easy to 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 conduct a conquest? And they come back and they all agree. All twelve agree that that what are the facts of this matter? The intriguing thing is why then a 10 come back with a negative report, as you describe it, and two come back with a the minority report, right. you know, <laughs> speaking in favor of, no, we can do this. Right. Right. So what do you, so, so what is the factor? In other words, we frequently, we, we view something and we see a certain, you know, we see certain features and we see a certain phenomenon. And and then we draw our own opinions. We stand back, right? Uh, you know, you can have two people. One can, you know, come to Israel and uh, be astounded by the technology. And uh, other people can come back and see other things. Or sometimes you can even look at the same phenomenon. You know, you've got people who look at the the separation wall in Israel. And they look at it as, look, Israel's taking care of its own safety. And other people see an apartheid wall. Yes. So yeah. it's interesting how... So I, I think what's at play, the, the best I can understand it here is the extent to which the observers, the scouts, are shaped by their, um, their own experience of what is it like to be a minority. So in the story, it very clearly says that we appeared to be grasshoppers in our own eyes, the ten a reporting line. What does it mean to be a grasshopper in our own eyes? Right? That is some deep level of internalized animosity, hatred, self-hatred. I'm, I'm not sure what. I'm not a psychologist. But something deep is going on there in that story, which leads them to that, that self-perception. And therefore, as a result of that, they come to the conclusion, no, we can't possibly take on these giant people. We will lose, right? Juxtaposed with the two who come up with a different bit, who obviously have a different upbringing, they have a different outlook. They're a, a positive sense of who they are as uh, uh, the children of Israel and what the capacities then of the children of Israel are in order to, yes, enter the land and succeed in establishing their uh, Right. If I read the verse here, it, they, it's so interesting. They don't only say that to themselves, right, that they feel like grasshoppers. They say, there we saw the giants, we saw the giants, the son of Anak, descended from giants. In our eyes, we seemed like grasshoppers. And so we were in their eyes. So yeah. it almost like... It's not only their own assessment, they now project it onto the inhabitants of the land. Absolutely. And they say, we saw ourselves as small, and we're assuming that they look at us as, you know, we're fodder, we're fodder for them. Yeah. That, that I, and I think we've seen it in the, you know, in contemporary jury, where various of our leaders have stood up and said to us, non-Jews respect Jews that respect Judaism. If Jews stand up for who they are, they will earn respect. 
not in an obnoxious way, not in an, uh, in an overzealous way, but in a way which gives themselves some sense of self-dignity, self-respect. And I think what the sin is of the 10 people who reported is that they didn't have that self-dignity, that self-respect to be able to say, actually, our abilities, our capacities as a collective, acting together, we could actually achieve something that we individually could not possibly have done uh, prior. Wow, so a low self-assessment means that you also um, see the feasibility, that it's just unfeasible, we can't achieve, we're not going to manage to um, realise our national ambitions. Yeah, my, my late father, who was a professor of, of organisational behaviour, he taught me uh, when I was quite young, he said, you know, if an organization wants to change, the ones that are hardest to change are those who think that everything's going badly, even though they've got the biggest reason to change. They should be the most motivated, the most ambitious to change, but they don't have the psychological wherewithal to be able to take on the change. The medium group, is those that think everything's going well because they don't have a reason to change. The ones who are actually most able to affect a change are the ones who think some things are going well, some things are not going well, and therefore we've got the ability to attend to those things that are not going well and fix it. And if you ask me today, the best kind of, you started with a federation mission, the best kind of trip to Israel are those that show Israel as though it's doing certain things well, it's got problems in other areas, not to hide away from the problems, but in order to uh, enable all of us to gather the energies and the resources to attend to the things that are not going well on the back of the successes that we have. Amazing. But I, I want to sharpen this a little bit because, of course, the, the two, so to speak, positive spies, Kalev and Yoshua, they also say, you know, if God's on our side, right, <laughs> then it's going to be all okay. And what's lying behind all of this is sort of the divine plan ever since Abraham to sort of come to the land and to inherit the land. Um, in other words, this isn't coming on a tabula rasa. This isn't, you know, there's almost this sense, this historic legacy. We're not really being asked whether to do this. Uh, uh, maybe that's intimidating. But when we get to all, so there's the religious element. And then there's this phrase here when when the when the men come and give their reports the the bad spies or the negative spies it says and in fact fact rashi's opening comments on the parasha says well why is this story here well the last story we just read about miriam talking negatively about her brother moses and it's a story about lashon hara bad talk gossip um you know the negative effect of words and this is a story also about slander these people have slandered a land and again here's you know a very very contentious issue in the jewish world are you allowed to talk against israel but can you can you slander a land is is there such a thing you know my perspective is my perspective what's, what's happening here yeah so i think to call something slander uh, and the the notion of debata aritz it is actually possible to undermine the entire enterprise by entertaining certain kinds of criticism out there 
in the big wide world, especially when in the big wide world, there is um, significant enemies of Israel and the Jewish people. That is a long way from saying you can't be critical of anything that's going on, even the fundamental principles upon which Israel is based. The question comes as to the stance of the engaged critic. Are they, are they in it? Is it the we of the Seder table, of the, the Haggadah, of the, of, uh, of the wise child, or is it the you of the, of the wicked right. child? And if it's the you, then there are probably limits as to what we should be able to hear, and it's much easier to engage in the slander, to, for, for the critic to emerge as slander. But if it's a criticism that comes from love and support, you know, I, I'm someone who's had heart surgery in my life. And I know the friendly thing for those that care for me is when they see me reaching for yet another cream cake is to put their arm around my shoulder and say, listen, buddy, this ain't good for you. That's a criticism, but it's of the absolutely best friendly criticism. So there was a senator in America in the uh, 1870s, if I'm not mistaken, Carl Schurz, who once defined patriotism as such. He used the phrase, um, my country right or wrong. Very famous phrase and many times used by many different people. But he added to it. He said, my country right or wrong, when it is right because it is right, and when it is wrong to make it right. Mm, lovely. And that is the tikkun. That is the tikkun. That's the fundamental thing that I think the two scouts who encourage and the people of Israel to go into the land, they are coming with that mentality. They're not claiming that the people aren't big. They're not claiming that the cities aren't fortified. They're not claiming there aren't challenges. But there is work to be done that we can do and that we should be doing in order to make things right. Wow, that's that's really powerful. The insider, the outsider, and the, to the, the tone of the criticism. I want to just uh, maybe take this into, into a slightly uh, different direction and see what you think of this assessment. Um, when I think about the Moraglim, first of all, sometimes I think that there was a sort of mismanagement on Moses' part because, you know, if you've got some delicate um, in intelligence information or you didn't describe it as intelligence information, but even, you know, before you release the public statement, you should sort of check it over. And I sort of wonder how he allowed them to go straight to the press conference um, and talk to everybody before he had sort of debriefed them personally. I wonder whether, you know, it's interesting, Moses doesn't seem to be under a tr tremendous amount of scrutiny in the story, but there seems to have been a certain mismanagement. But this this takes me to a point. Um, so I, I, I just to comment in, in, on that micro point there is to say, I think we're actually living in a time where what happened in this situation is the reality. It used to be, before social media, there really was broadcasting where the leader spoke and spoke to the nation. But as Rabbi Sachs used to say, we're no longer living in an era of broadcasting. We're in narrow casting. We're only speaking to narrow slices of our echo chamber. 
And I think social media and the fact that every visitor to Israel today has a cell phone, a smartphone that they can instantly upload photographs, uh, a commentary on social media uh, and all the rest of it. We don't have that private briefing anymore. There is no such thing as washing your dirty linen behind closed doors. There are no doors that are closed. Mm. It's all out there. And as um, a uh, old, uh, late uh, Jewish journalist in the UK, Haiberman, used to say, the thing about dirty washing, <laughs> right, you push it underneath the, you know, push it underneath the carpet, right? It doesn't get done. The washing never gets cleaned if it's in dark corners. It only gets cleaned if it's in the light. So I'm actually in favor of this public process, the social media process, etc. But that means that responsibility to be sharp and accurate and engaged and intimate with our assessments is on every one of us. It's not, it's not devolved to the Israeli foreign ministry or whoever it might be. Wow. That's that's really interesting. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll I'll continue with the point I was going to say, but I'm going to add on, on on what you were saying. What I was actually going to say was that when you talk about gossip, right, we we should be aware that even when things are true, they can really affect other people's experience. So, like for example, imagine we're sitting around the Shabbat table, and um, the older child in the family starts, you know, disparaging his school and all the teachers. And he's got his younger brother who's just about to enter that school. Well, the younger brother's going to already think that teacher X is, you know, Mr. Jones is, is a real jerk, right? Because his brother told him that. And he's not going to give that teacher much of a chance. And that's one of the really interesting challenges uh, of a social media age. That, you know, especially in my echo chamber, chamber, I might have already drawn my conclusions and shows how we've got to be so careful with our words and Judaism's actually quite mindful about making sure that our words are good. But this reminds me of, of moving into the next book in the Torah, because we get another chance. And one of Moshe's amazing speeches, he says, we're going to go into a land with a place which has fortifications to the heavens <laughs> and with people who are like giants. And you're like, one second, Moses, aren't, aren't you saying exactly what, what, Moshe, what the what the Miraglim said, what the spies said. And it's interesting that Moshe sort of like in his makeover, in his like uh, rah-rah speech to try and get the people to make the second attempt to get into the land, he doesn't deny any of the realities, but he tries to spin it in a new way and to give people a sense of belief that despite the obstacles, which as you say, like dirty dirty washing, it's not going to go away. It's not going to get clean automatically. He says, okay, this is the reality. They were right. And yet, and yet we have a legacy and we have a mission. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel that particularly powerfully whenever you get the sense in Israel that things are um, careering out of control. And the political stalemate of Israel the last uh, number of years and the election cycles, and President, the, the last President Rivlin's famous speech about the tribes of Israel and four basically, tribes of Israel. Basically, 
the traditional Jews, uh, Haredi Jews, uh, secular. secular Jews and Israeli Arabs. Um, basically, his point was none of these tribes are going to be able to control the whole picture. We've got to learn to live together somehow, right? So you could easily imagine the total collapse of the social contract, the social solidarity that any society needs in order to be cohesive. And if I might be forgiven a kind of uh, a comment about America as an outsider, it's that it, it looks often like the social contract in America is unraveling. The, the, the ability to have a cohesive conversation across difference often looks like it's undermined. So we need, we need that. And we have to pay attention to it, particularly because of the context that you just described of what happens in, in this chapter and then what happens a, a bit later on. And you could even put it in a wider context to say, listen, we lost the first kingdom, the first temple, and, and we lost the second temple. You know, losing one is unfortunate. Losing two is already looking like... If we're going to risk losing the third, folks, that's on us. That's on us, you know, squarely on us. And uh, blessedly, the Jewish people today have more people learning in yeshiva than at any time in their history, as an absolute number. More people studying advanced Jewish studies at universities than any time. More higher degrees in everything than ever before. More wealth personally and collectively than we've than we've ever had. And we've got an army, thank God, and we've got sovereign capacities that we've never had. Well, come on then, Jewish people. What do we want to make of this? How do we want to be our best sense of uh, who we are for our own good and for our contribution to the world? Wow, that's such a powerful message. Because what you're really saying is um, criticism has its place. Let's be honest and even sometimes brutally honest but let's do it as insiders and as insiders i guess you're also saying let's not only talk about it but let's actually do it let's put our skin in the game and contribute absolutely i'm a big believer i suppose in critical loyalty it is absolutely critical to be loyal but it is also absolutely loyal to offer caring criticism so that we all improve Johnny, it's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure talking to you. We've been together at a conference, and that's also been a pleasure. And we've got a, a, a friendship which goes back decades. Um, I want to thank you for taking part in this Paradise podcast, and hopefully we'll have other opportunities to educate together and to learn Torah together. Thank well, you. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Tune in next week as Rabbi Rachel Berkovitz and Tova Leah Nachmani discuss together Parashat Korach. Thanks for listening.